Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey folks, Tony Segretto here. You know, since day one, Catholic Health Services has been part of old school. And since we've started letting people know about them, it's changed their lives. You see, Catholic Health Services, while being recognized as one of the top places for stroke rehab in the country, it's also about a group of people who not just excel in what they do, from the doctors to the nurses to the therapist, on and on and on. It's how they do what they do every single day that separates them from the pack. They do it with a passion, unmatched, and the inclusion of family in every step of the process. Trust me when I tell you this. If you want the best unmatched rehab with a special group of skilled, caring people, there is truly only one place, and that one place is Catholic Health Services. Welcome to After Hours with Defoe and Luby here on Believe. Jeff DeForest and Michael Luby Lubitz with you all over the world on our uh, fine Believe network. And uh, we'll talk a little basketball. You know, uh, people are uh, always in the conversation of, well, is today's game uh, as exciting as it used to be? What, what brand of basketball is this? And then there's always the debate about whether guys from different eras could have played in today's modern-day game. Now, I, I would contend that, uh, obviously, guys like uh, the big O Oscar Robertson or Will Chamberlain, uh, they they may have evolved as athletes if they were playing in a, in a different time, uh, say, 40 years later. But uh, I think with their skills, they would have been brilliant. I don't know that anybody might have benefited more, though, than uh, this gentleman who joins us right now because uh, with the emphasis on a three-point shot, this man could land him from the Coke machine. And I remember uh, in the uh, 60s with the Pistons, uh, the great Ray Scott joins us here on the program, and it's a pleasure. Uh, Ray, how are you? Good to have you on the show. Thank you. It's so good to be with you. Um, well, now you're speaking to me as an author and not a long-distance shooter. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, you would have made a fortune hoisting threes, would you not? I mean, uh, when you first saw the evolution of the three-point three stripe, I mean, yeah, you had to think this this is a million dollar deal for me. Yeah, well, you know, I played in the ABA uh, for two years, my last two years, yeah. uh, out of the eleven years, and I only took, I think, I think I took over two years. I took four three pointers that I made two. And wow, fifty percent because my yeah, and my game at that time had changed. But it had changed to uh, uh, playing in inside, playing in the pivot. So I became a, a pivot man with the Virginia Squires because we, I was playing with Charlie Scott and Mike Barrett. I mean, these great Larry Brown, these great three-point shooters. And I didn't train in my mind, you know, to change my game to go further, you know, another – another 10 feet away from the basket. So I think, you know, it was intriguing to me when you talked about uh, Wilt playing in a three-point era. And I think of Wilt Kareem. Uh, I think of uh, Russell. I think of how great those guys were. Shaq. Can you imagine those guys shooting three-pointers? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, none of them, uh, yeah, as a matter no. of fact. <laughs> Although, uh, you know, it's a requirement today, it seems like. Or, uh, That's right. Definitely an asset for, for a certain style of, of big man. Uh, do you feel that the game, I mean, and was not Dr. J also on that Squires team that you played on? What, was, yes, was the doctor the there my, at your time? 
Yeah, the doctor, the doc, when I retired my last year, the doc was there. I got to play, I think, in maybe, I think, 57 games or something like that because I had knee injuries, and that's why I retired. Um, but the doc came in, but the doc brought that other game, the yes. other piece to that game, which was the athleticism and the ability to play above the rim and dunk the ball. So the fans, was they were crazy about those two elements of basketball, the three-point shot and dunking uh, all game long with, you know, full speed, uh, wide open. You get open, you go in, you don't just lay the ball up, and then now you're dunking the ball. If you're on a fast break, a three-on-two fast break, a guy is winding to the side of the floor to shoot a three-pointer. I mean, it just it defied all the logic of basketball that you and I grew up with, which was fundamental basketball. Get the ball into the pivot. Get the yeah. ball to the guy closest to the basket. He's got the best shot. Well, now the best shot, as the game goes along, is a guy shooting a wide-open three-pointer. Yeah. Yeah. And I was not taught that way, and I think that's what happened to me in those last a couple of years that I played in the ABA, I didn't think that way. I was still thinking the old-fashioned, get the ball close, pivot, you know, get the bang, uh, get a th- old-fashioned three-point play. That's what you were attempting to do. This new style, you know, the game is on the line. The game is on the line. And we get the ball out to a guy to shoot a three-point. And that's just amazing because if it goes in, if you're two down, you win. You know, yeah. they no longer play for the tie. They play for the win. Um, so it's it's exciting uh, for the new fans, for the people that are just picking up the game. But for guys, you know, like like I said, guys like myself, we're still going to play old school. For guys like you that grew up with old, if you grew up with old school, you know, you're going to want to see. You're like, why why aren't they going for the two points? You get the two points, I'll tie the game up. That's the way that, that's not the thought. That's not the way it's played. And, and thank goodness we do have someone that has evolved, like a Steph Curry, like a Clay Thompson, that are excellent shooters. So now they know how to put that into their system and take, uh, uh, take and make three point shots. Uh, but the game has changed. It's clearly a different game. And I'm, I write about it in the book, uh, you know, but, People like it. People seem to like it. They're getting uh, unbelievable audiences that captivated the television audience because the game is no longer played for the spectators in the stands. The game is played for the people around the world on television. And so we're watching a completely different game, a completely athletic game. And there are no Wilts. There are no Kareems. There are no Thurmans. Isn't that amazing to you? But that time yeah. seems to have passed. Oh, it's crazy. I mean, I used to look for the dominant center as, uh, you know, the, the key piece uh, to putting any team yeah. together. And now, now it's the last guy. I mean, yep. it's kind of like the fullback in football yep. has disappeared. Uh, Ray Scott, uh, our guest on After Hours, uh, Ray has a book out, The NBA in Black and White, the memoir of a trailblazing NBA player and coach. Uh, came into the uh, NBA in, in the early 60s, 1961, was a number four overall pick in the first round of the draft by the Detroit Pistons, played for the Bullets, and then, as mentioned, with the Virginia Squires. I, I was thinking the other day, because uh, Dr. J was from, uh, like, my home turf on Long Island, 
And okay. uh, actually, uh, it was in a couple of recreational park games with a young Dr. J many years ago when like 40 guys would line up under one basket at the park and uh, it was a three on three and, and his team would hold the court all night long. But um, he was not flamboyant then. And I was thinking uh, maybe Dr. J didn't invent flamboyance, but, but he certainly, uh, you know, perfected the art. Uh, and, and that was a big reason for the success of the ABA. I, I, I don't know. Was Connie Hawkins or Elgin Baylor, were they the, the first real uh, purveyors of the idea of, uh, you know, uh, putting – uh, a, a little extra English on virtually everything they did in terms of the athleticism and the moves they had. I knew you were a New York guy because you know your stuff. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> ah, that's so good. People, you know, you mentioned two names that people today hardly know: Elgin Baylor, who was the first flyer, the first guy that would hang and glide and, and dunk, and then of course Connie came out of Brooklyn, and uh, you know, and and he did. He became. Uh, a national player until uh, uh, he got into a set of bad circumstances through people he knew, uh, but he didn't do anything. But Connie came in, and Connie was fabulous, but he was spent so much time with the Globetrotters and the ABL uh, uh, teams, that, or league, a league that floundered, and then the Globetrotters, and so he became an entertainer as opposed to the great basketball player that he was. But he, he got to show it late in the NBA. But Connie, what you saw late in the NBA was not the guy that he was early on either. A lot of people don't know that. And then, the you know, as far as flying, the fourth guy you got to add in there is, uh, is uh, Michael Jordan. You know, so those, uh, you know, but Julius... Julius, yeah, Julius was flamboyant over time. I think he just, with his maturation as a man, I think that's where that flamboyance began to come from. I mean, you, I mean, he would naturally do something and get oohs and ahs, but then he became such a good basketball player when he got to the island. When he came back home, he was just, you know, he and Kevin Lockery, boy, they, they. Kevin was the coach. They got something going up there in, in, in Long Island, and then they get the kid John. What is it, John? Uh, I can't think of his nickname now. He, he gave himself his nickname, but they had the. They had Brian Taylor from uh, from uh, from Princeton, and they had Willie Sojourner, and yeah. uh, they they were they were a good team. They were a good John Williamson. Super job. John Williamson, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, they, uh, I remember seeing him at the Comac Arena. On yeah, Long Island. I don't know if you ever played at the East Comac Arena. <laughs> no, I was gone. I played for two. Did I play there? I think I, I played two years. It was I, a dump. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a dump. Yeah, that, that I played there. <laughs> I remember yeah, Rick Barry coming in there and scoring there. 50 yeah. one night for the uh, Oakland Oaks, oh, yeah. or, uh, wherever he was oh, playing yeah. for. And, uh, and he still remembers, like, details of these games, which is the incredible thing about and that's why I'm imagining that this book is uh, excellent. Uh, Luby's got something for you, but I, I, I just, it seems to me the years would coincide when you were coaching the Pistons. Uh, did, did you end up coaching Dave Bing? I coached well, Dave Bing, who was my former roommate in 66. Uh, when I went back in 72, he became my best uh, captain. You know, he was my floor leader. And uh, Dave Bing is the one that really sold, in my opinion, I'm, I'm just, 
it was a behind the scenes thing. Dave, I think, sold my philosophy and what I was trying to do to the Piston team. And what we did, uh, uh, Mike, is we changed from um, a pivot team, I mean, an outside team with Dave to an inside team with Bob Lanier. And we and that not allowed us to, do it. to play. Yeah, you <laughs> played. We played much better defense, and we were. Yeah. You know, we won fifty games because Bob was so dominant uh, in our in our philosophy of what we were trying to do as a team, and he was just. Uh, you know, I, you, you couldn't imagine Bob, but Bob was one of those players. At the advent, he was like McAdoo. They could shoot from you know twenty feet up to. They yes. would shoot from. Yeah, they were shooters, me and McAdoo. So Bob was a, was a great player, as was Cowens could shoot from 20 feet, Willis Reed could shoot from 20 feet. So there was that advent in the, uh, in the uh, NBA. And then Jerry Lucas moved from forward in Cincinnati to center with the Knicks when they won a title. So you, he was a long shooter. So guys, yeah. uh, six, eight, and six, nine, were beginning to take those shots. Uh, in the NBA, but it was so interesting, and the game it 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 didn't just change like it evolved uh, with all of this talent, but the Kareem's, like I said, the Kareem's, the Wilts, the Thurmans, uh, those guys, they were they were not in abundance, uh, and so you weren't throwing the guy to the throwing the ball to the guy to pivot any longer. You were just taking a wide open or a long jump shot. And, and the game just changed. And as I think about that, what an evolution. And, and I think about those is those guys in my book. They're such great historical characters in terms of building the game. But I still give credit to the big four, which you alluded to, was Oscar, Wilt, Elgin, and Russell. They built NBA basketball, in my opinion. And I'd have to add in the mix Jerry West. They they glamorized the game. Uh, they uh, they made the game what it was at that time. But at that time, as you know, being from New York, it was a spectator sport. It wasn't a television sport. Ray, as we wrap up with you here, I just wanted to ask you because we've heard Bill Russell talk about the off-the-court stuff he dealt with. Lou Alcindor, then Kareem, was very yeah. open about the way he was treated and what he thought he deserved to be treated being a human being. Uh, Your book's sort of a part of that too. You were an early trailblazer. You were a number four overall pick in like 61. In the 60s, it was a very heated time in America and sports was not out of the, sports was really, really at the forefront for it. What are some of the things you faced trying to, you know, commercialize a sport, you know, as an African American man in a country that was as divisive as it had ever been? That's a great question. Uh, what what occurred was at, at that time was you're trying you were trying to establish yourself when you're an African American as an NBA player. If you didn't have the great skill of Russell Chamberlain, Baylor, and Robinson, then you had to really prove yourself uh, to be on the court. I was on the court with a guy named Bailey Howell, who's in the Hall of Fame. Gene Shu, who should be in the Hall of Fame, and Don O. They were the three great scorers for the Pistons. So when I went to the Pistons, they weren't looking for a scorer. They were looking for a guy that would make them a a better team. So I had to 
do those things that I thought would make that team better in order to get on the court. If I thought I was going to go in there and score 20 points a game because I scored 33 points a game in the Eastern League, I was all wrong. I was all wrong. I was a fish out of water. But when I started rebounding and playing defense, concentrating on playing Dolph Shays and Paul Arison and Willie Knowles and Elgin Baylor and Bob Pettit, these great forwards, when that occurred, all of a sudden I got more floor time. Because Earl Lloyd, who was my mentor and the assistant coach, told me I had to figure out how I could be on the floor and, you know, and be comfortable. So I learned that lesson. And so that was something you had to figure out. But if you recall, the three guys that went into the NBA originally really became excellent role players. Earl Lloyd with the Syracuse Nationals, he became a champion with the Syracuse Nationals and Dom Hayes. Sweetwater Clifton came and played with the Knicks in New York. He became an excellent player, a stopper, a, a, a great player. And uh, Chuck Cooper from Duquesne, he was the uh, top first guy drafted with the Boston Celtics. He became, again, a role player, you know, and Red Auerbach liked those role players. He liked the stars. He, he liked Cousy and Charmin and McCauley, and then Cousy and Charmin and Russell. He liked that, but he liked to have those role players. And, you know, he invented that six-man stuff with Frank Ramsey, and uh, that that was his six-man, and he brought in Havlicek. And Havlicek was yeah. a great six-man. They're both in the Hall of Fame. So, yeah, basketball, that evolution of basketball, which is what I speak about in the book, has been phenomenal. Uh, and then you throw in the African-American kids coming in from the HBCUs. Or I came from the Eastern League. Nobody in Detroit even knew who I was. Uh, you know, so we drafted a guy from Detroit, number uh, from uh, uh, Philadelphia, number four. He played in Allentown. People go, where's Allentown? It's not a university. It's not, who is this guy? And so I walked into town. Nobody even knew who the heck I was. So, you know, that's a, but that evolution of basketball was clearly put on the table for us to become better players and find our roles. And, and uh, happy to say we fulfilled the, the dreams for, for some of those owners. Bailey Hell, man. Red Auerbach loved him because he was uh, one of the better garbage men, uh, as they called it in the league. Uh, Yep. Always uh, yep. around the boards making something happen after a missed uh, Hondo Hamilcheck uh, heave. Uh, and, yep. and I loved Hondo. He, he was one of my favorite players of all time, number 17 there with the Boston Absolutely. Celtics. Ray Scott, our guest here on After Hours. Uh, one more thing, and uh, my memory is a little foggy. I, I'm going to have uh, my 71st birthday coming up here in a couple of weeks, and uh, I can't eat enough jellyfish to get my memory back. Uh, so uh, <laughs> uh, the uh, Vitalis one-on-one, though, was one of my favorite halftime entertainment uh programs that that was ever offered on uh, any sporting event and uh, it was great but th- did bob lanier ever play ernie d gregorio in the vitalis one-on-one i don't know if you remember that series uh, mcadoo uh, still is upset today that he lost in the finals to jeff petrie and i think the thing was only on for like a couple of years i, I don't know if you ever participated years, yeah. in that yeah bob, but, uh, no, but bob was he ever won- in there against d gregorio at uh, nearly uh, what 610 i remember him against jojo white Jojo White, okay, Bob, that makes some sense. I, I remember it being Jojo White, and uh, that's my memory. Now, again, I'm 80, 80 plus. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I got to go eat some jellyfish today, too. So, uh. <laughs> We're right here by the beach, man. I'll send you some wherever you are. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
That's right. It's plentiful where you are. That's yeah, the truth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I attempt I attempted every day to just take a bite and see if I can't get my memory back. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, JoJo White. I remember he was in there against the guard, but JoJo uh, had some height. He was, what, about 6'3"? Yeah, three, JoJo uh, like six, he was like 6'3", yeah. But he was springy. You know, he was a 6'3", springy. Yeah, wiry. But he was a long-distance shooter, wiry. He could shoot. Uh, very good player. Very good player. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm uh, playing uh, the NIT finals uh, against, uh, I think it was Dayton or semifinals. Right, but he was, when he was at Kansas. Yeah. Uh, he came in. Yeah. He, he was a big star uh, then yeah. and uh, had a very respectable NBA career, as did you. Hey, Ray, it was a pleasure, man. Uh, good Thank luck you, with Ray. the book. Sounds like it'll be fascinating. The NBA oh, in Black and you, White, guys. the memoir of a trailblazing NBA player and coach. Uh, Ray Scott, and, and and you don't need the uh, Prevagen or the jellyfish because your memory and recollection <laughs> of things is is crystal clear, oh. my friend. So uh, congratulations thanks, on that, uh, and thanks so much for joining us on After Hours. Well, thank you for having me, and I, I hope people like the book. I I, it, I poured my heart and soul into it, so you know that's that's where it's at. That's what we're that's what we're marketing here. Thank you, Ray. Appreciate it. All right, excellent. Uh, thanks so much for being with us, Ray Scott. Interesting gentleman, right? I think of Ray Scott. I think of the announcer, though. When you first said Ray Scott, I was thinking, I know. no, no, he checked out a long time I ago. I know. That's why I wanted that to make sure you was the famous uh, CBS announcer, and uh, wow, he always was doing a Packer game. And you talk about, boy, if you went back and listened to these, uh, you know, uh, tapes of these old games, and you compared it to uh, the schlubbering that goes on today, Scott uh, literally was brilliant. I mean, and I, I still remember his call would be uh, along the lines of star, dollar, Touchdown, right? <laughs> on a, like a spectacular play. It was like going back and listening to old Don Dunphy tapes, right? Where uh, I idolized Don Dunphy and always aspired to be a boxing announcer and feel very fortunate that uh, during the course of my uh, sportscasting lifetime, I got to do a lot of live uh, boxing TV events, which I, I enjoyed immensely. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you dream about doing something and then all of a sudden, at least at some level, a professionalism, uh, you're doing it, and, and you're doing it in the company of really good people and but with uh, good production. But if you go back and listen to Dunphy, man, he barely said a thing uh, during the course of a round. He, he might have said like eight words during a round, as opposed to, uh, you know, you oh, know, good. one of my favorites, either uh, Mara Ranallo or uh, Gus Johnson, who can't <laughs> stop screaming, even in the first round, before no, no punches are being landed, and they're already at like a uh, frenetic pace. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing even happens. <laughs> Nothing's going on, man. Like literally, nobody's landed a punch. They have that punch that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yep. I knew the guys that started that. Uh, Bob Kenobio was a guy, and uh, a guy named uh, Logan something. Anyway, uh, they started this thing, and everybody laughed at him, and uh, it ended up being a big thing. Uh, I'm not sure that statistics always apply in boxing, right? Uh, that that you can get into like saber metrics in boxing, because uh, the difference maker is you, you could hit me with like 11 jabs that barely graze, uh, you know, uh, you know, as making contact. And, and then if I hit you with one Deontay, uh, Deontay Wilder roundhouse right. Yeah, it's not the same. You're in the third row. Yeah, yeah they don't need to So uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter that you're being outlanded nine to one. The one put the, you know, yeah. uh, the fight uh, into, uh, you know, its uh, conclusion. So. Uh, stats uh, in that category can be uh, wildly misleading. All right, uh, that's going to do it for us for today. A lot of fun. Catch us on uh, South Florida Live. Google yes. uh, the Defoe Show. I guess you can find us that way, Luby. And you'll catch what we do during hours. And uh, then if you enjoy after hours, I'm sure you'll enjoy that. As our regular hours are 7 to 9 Eastern, and we do a live show there that uh, you can see 
audio, I mean, uh, hear audio and see video yes. on, which uh, makes it a lot of fun. All right, uh, we'll see you guys next time here on Believe. And uh, as we always say, uh, from Mike Luby Lubitz, Jeff DeForest saying, no matter what you're doing, man, you're going out there just to uh, do a little uh, couple of miles while walking to get some exercise going on your schwitz. Whatever it is you're doing, be all in. You got to believe. Hey, folks, Tony Segreto here. Let me ask you a question. What do you look for when you go out to eat? Good food, obviously. Friendly atmosphere, not too loud, but good energy, reasonable prices, and a place where you feel comfortable. All those ingredients, <laughs> no pun meant there, are hard to find unless you're talking about the Texas Roadhouse. You see, they encompass all of those attributes. Really, really good food. Amazing atmosphere. Good for a family. Good for a date or just a night out for yourself. And prices that will make you extremely happy. Their ribs unmatched. Steaks, hand cut every day. Everything, and I mean everything, is made on site, including their incredible bread. It's the one day, folks, that you can forget about low-carb diets. Trust me when I tell you, Texas Roadhouse, your restaurant, your destination, when you say, where should we go and eat tonight? Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money.